You're listening to a podcast from Columbia Christian Fellowship in Columbia, Pennsylvania. Our services are weekly at 10 a.m. We hope to see you there. with us. That was awesome. Would you guys give yourselves a hand? I felt the power. I felt the energy coming off the congregation and you just you can't imagine what that does for a a band. So thank you. Now I expect that every week. So if you're visiting with us, I see a few faces. We're we've been in a series through the book of Acts. We're just continuing that today. We're all the way up to Acts 17. I think there's 28 chapters in Acts, so we have about 11 more chapters to go. I have a reader, and I don't see my reader, so I'll speak for a few minutes. Do you want to come, Mark? Okay. Well, here, here she's coming. Now you two are going to have to fight it out. Who wants to read the worst? Who wants to read the best? Deb, okay. All right. Thanks, Art, for filling in. So while Deb's getting herself composed, would you stand with me? And if you've been here, you know the drill. We read the word together. We stand to honor the word. Uh, it's usually, the, it's not usually, it's always the text from which we will be preaching. Are you settled? (laughs) We'll get there. Acts 17, verses 16 through 34. While Paul Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Oregopagus, (laughs) where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious, for as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he blamed, rather he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations that he should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. 
God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, and now he commands all the people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. When he heard about the resurrection of the dead, when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. Thank you, Deb. So Deb was not the original reader, and she agreed to fill in. I got something. <laughs> so remember last week when, when, when Pastor Hubbs said that his wife was making a lot of smart comments, and I told him Tuesday night I was going to do this. Thanks, Ron. Now everyone will hear me. <laughs> Very funny, Ron. So Deb was not the original reader. She was filling in, and then she had responsibilities with the toddler's ministry. So Art, thank you so much that you were quick to going to come up here and fill in. I appreciate that. You may be seated now. The important thing is we got the text read. It was a long, long text. We're only going to speak about uh, uh, several of those verses, not that whole thing, but it is one section. So today, basically for those of our church, this is going to be same old, same old. But without the opposition. Yay, a week free from the but. Everywhere they've gone, it's been initial success, followed by fierce opposition. No fierce opposition in Athens. The title is Paul in Athens. And today we're going to keep it short and sweet, get you out of here for your holiday gatherings, but not without a couple of challenges. You probably will not hear much, if anything, new today, but if you do listen, if you have ears to hear what the Spirit's saying to the church, you will be challenged today. I know I am challenged. I'm challenged by what I'm going to say. Let's begin by checking out our map. How's that? Better? Finally? So you see the top of the red line, they, they were in Philippi. They came down through Thessalonica, Berea. They're getting beat up in all those places, but they're also seeing the Lord move mightily. Then they got to get Paul out of there, so they get him out of there, and the long extended red line goes down to Athens, and that's where Paul is now by himself. They always seem to start with initial success. The word of God re received, people were getting saved, revival was breaking out, and then, but, fierce opposition would arise. And just for those who like to really get a good feel for where we're at, because honestly, sometimes the word of God seems like it's on another planet or some world far away. Where are these places and what, what, what is that? 
Well, this is in present-day Greece. Thessalonica is still a city in Greece. So is Athens. And it's about a 312-mile trip, and it's about five hours by car to go from where they got rid of Paul, got him out of there, Berea, Thessalonica, down to Athens. Today's message is going to be mostly informative. But as I said, there's going to be some challenges thrown in along the way that will keep us on our toes. The messages are always for all of us. The messages are always for the corporate church. But today especially, I encourage you to pay attention to what God is emphasizing to you personally. If you saw the insert in the bulletin, there will actually be an opportunity at the end of the message to list on your insert what God has emphasized to you today. Acts 17, 16, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply troubled by all the idols he saw everywhere in the city. While Paul was waiting, he was waiting for Silas, he was waiting for Timothy Timothy to come to him in Athens. And while he was waiting, and while he was observing the city, he was deeply troubled. The word deeply troubled means vexed. It means stirred or moved deeply in your spirit. It's a deep thing. Distressed might be a good word. Greatly bothered. Something you can't stop thinking about. Something you can't get out of your mind is what this word's describing. He was deeply troubled. Have you ever been deeply troubled? And you just can't get it off your mind? And you can't stop thinking about it, and it's stirring you, and it's moving you. Maybe that's the case for you currently. And if it is, you can identify with this. Maybe you're facing a situation or a circumstance in your life where you have become deeply troubled by this. Although the thing bothering you may not be the same thing that was bothering Paul, Paul was deeply troubled and could not let it go. The reason he was deeply troubled, the reason he was so bothered was all the idols he saw everywhere in the city. The people were steeped in the worship of false gods. The people were steeped in false religion, including all the sexual immorality all the sadistic practices, all the debauchery that comes along with worshiping false gods. This was the city of Athens. Athens was completely given over to this. One of the best descriptions, parallel descriptions to me in Scripture was the days of Noah. Rampant deception and lack of truth. It says of the days of Noah, the Lord observed that the extent of human wickedness on the earth The Lord observed the extent extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything they thought and everything they imagined was consistently and totally evil. You know, there's another verse that's hard to fathom, but it's true. There is no one who seeks God. There is no one who does good. The human race can get to that point. It was at that point in the days of Noah, and God destroyed it, except for Noah and his family. It gets to that point now in certain places, but not the entire world. 
But it will get to that point again during the tribulation, and God will have to destroy again. This time by fire, though, not by water. Mankind has a tendency to drift, maybe I should say run, towards evil, given the chance, and apart from Christ. The extent of evil in Noah's day and the human race was to the point where God destroyed the world by flood. It was widespread. It was rampant. There was no thought of God. There was no knowing him, knowing his ways. There was no righteous living. That's the case now in Athens. And not that every person in Athens was as wicked or evil as they could be. But the city itself, the city and the population in general was devoid of any understanding of the true and living God. Idolatry, false worship, false religion, all of that was widespread. Deception was widespread and rampant. And this deeply troubled, this greatly distressed the Apostle Paul. He was so deeply troubled. He was so greatly distressed by the situation of the city by the plight of the people, that he had to act. He had to do something. People were suffering. People were perishing here in Athens for lack of truth. Reminds me of Jesus in Matthew chapter 9, when Jesus saw the crowds harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd, When Jesus saw the crowds, he was moved with compassion and pity for them because they were dispirited, they were distressed, they were like sheep without a shepherd, just scattering all over the place, aimless, wandering, no hope. That's mankind apart from Christ. Jesus was so moved by the condition of the nation, Israel, and the plight of the people, He was dispirited and he was distressed. He was harassed. He saw that they were, I mean, he he saw that they were harassed by the enemy, the world, the flesh, and the devil. He saw that they were helpless to do anything about that. He was so moved that he felt he had to do something about it. This Matthew 9 passage is where Jesus makes that classic statement to his disciples: look. Lift up your head and see. The harvest is plentiful. It's ripe for harvest. Yeah, it's the workers that are few. That hasn't changed at all. The harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. People are in great need. And believe it or not, people are ready. Well, how do you know that, Pastor Hub? Because God said it. You say four months to harvest. I'm saying that's a wrong mindset. Open your eyes and look now. People are ready. The harvest is ready. It's the workers that are few. It's the people who are willing to go out and bring in the harvest that are few. And that's the church. And that's you. And that's me. And that's you, right, Shane? We got to do something about this. Jesus said to his disciples, look, we got to do something about this. And, of course, they're as clueless as we are. Well, what? And he said, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he will send out workers into the harvest field. And shortly after that statement, 
an assumed prayer, Jesus sent out first the 12 and then the 72. He sent them out into the villages around him to preach, to heal, to deliver, and if you're really filled with faith, to raise the dead. I don't have this in my notes, but I think I'm going to share a dream I had this week. Uh, No names. But a friend of mine, I walked by him and I saw him taking heart medication and I had this strong impression he was going to die. And I just leaned over and said his name and then I went off. I think I was going to conference or something. And when I was at conference, I got the text that he died. And so I came home and I went to the viewing. And at the viewing, I was... Like, looking around to see, well, where's his wife? And I didn't really even recognize anybody there, but there was another guy, and there was me, and I said, I think I'll walk up to the coffin and and just view the body, pay my respects before I go. And I noticed that everybody else in the background, they were just talking about anything and everything. It just didn't seem like a good setting for some reason. And so while I'm standing there looking at the body... (laughs) All of a sudden, I was looking, and I, I, I said, he's breathing. You can see his chest going up and down. And then his legs started to shake, and the feeling in the dream was something that I can't even explain. But he sat up in the coffin, and he got out of the coffin, and he walked away. And I was looking at him, and I was looking at the crowd, and they're just chit-chatting about everything that's going on. And I started yelling in my dream to the point where Deb said I was yelling, and she couldn't wake me up. I was yelling his name, and I was yelling to the people, don't you realize what just went on here? Don't you realize the extent of this miracle that just happened? God just raised him from the dead, and you're just chit-chatting about everyday life. I don't know the full extent, but there's something very significant in that. I wanted to bring this into the message, too, and I wasn't sure where, but maybe now's the time. I think that dream was related in some sense to Roe versus Wade. Roe versus Wade being overturned is monumental. We sang about God's straight, strong arm, and that was a strong arm that caused that to happen. And don't think anything else caused that to happen. But you know what bothers me, what deeply troubles me, what greatly distresses me? The lack of response and the lack of reaction in the church to that decision. The church is not even hardly talking about it. You're not here in the church in celebration of what happened. We're just chit-chatting about everyday business and matters. And we haven't even understood this tremendous miracle or whatever you want to call it, act of God, that has just happened in our day. Where is the church? Where are the voices supporting this? Where are the voices celebrating and rejoicing over this? I understand why the world isn't, but the church should be elated God has moved, and God is displeased with the reaction of his church. So Jesus was so moved by the plight of the people that he said to his disciples, we've got to do something. They're like, "Mm, what? Pray. Pray that the Lord of the harvest sends out workers. Well, I think they prayed. They had no clue they were going to be the answer to their prayer, but they were sent out. And then 72 others were sent as well shortly after that. So the prayer was answered immediately. Fast forward to our text today, Acts 17. 
That prayer from Matthew 9 is still being answered. The Apostle Paul and his companions are an answer answer to that prayer of Jesus and his disciples to send out workers into the harvest field. Here in Acts 17, like Jesus, Paul saw the plight of the people, the condition of the nation, that city especially, and he was moved by it. And he knew he had to do something. He can't even sit around and wait for Silas and Timothy to get back. He's got to move. He's got to move now. The situation is desperate. People are dying in their lost condition in Athens without Christ. The need calls for action, and the action needs to be now. Here's the first challenge for us. Are we moved? Are we stirred, deeply troubled, greatly concerned over the condition of our nation? If you look at the reaction of the church to the Roe versus Wade, you'd have to scratch your head. Are we moved? Are we deeply stirred? Are we deeply troubled, greatly concerned over the condition of our nation and the plight of its people? Over the deception and over the lack of truth and over the way evil seems to have its, can run its course in our nation. Are we stirred? Are we deeply moved? Are we deeply troubled over the evil, over the lostness of man? Do you see the crowds? Harassed and helpless in need of a safe Savior. I know you do, but I don't know if you recognize it or me. I know we see it. We see it everywhere we go. Do we see the crowds harassed and helpless in need of a Savior? Are we deeply stirred and troubled by that, like Jesus, like Paul? And here's the question. If not, why not, church? Are we just over here chit-chatting about everyday life and planning this and planning that and what we're going to do and people are going to hell all around us? Well over 100,000 people a day die in the world every day. So this vision drove them. I wonder what drives us. That was their motivation for living life. I wonder what our motivation is for living life. I told you you're not going to hear much new today because God is hammering the same old subject, the same old topic over and over and over again to his church. Is not my word like a hammer, says the Lord, that smashes the rock in pieces. One thing that God is doing, and he has been doing for a while, he's desperately trying to impart his heart and his burden for the lost, his burden, his heart for our nation, to his church, to believers, to us, to you and me. God himself is deeply troubled, he's deeply moved, he's stirred, he's distressed, he's, dis- he's grieved over the, the condition of our nation and the plight of its people. And he wants to do something about it. But he works through his church. He works through believers like us. Jesus wanted to do something for the crowds, and he turned to his disciples. What are we going to do? Pray. Pray. That the Lord sends out laborers. We today, you sitting right here in this pew, 
me behind his pulpit. We are an answer to Jesus' prayer from Matthew today. We're the laborers in the harvest field. We are to be workers in the harvest field, kingdom workers. We are to be those he will use to do something about the situation. The days of the silent church have got to be over. And I'm not, you know me, I'm not talking about run out those doors and accost somebody and collar them and start shoving this down their throat. I'm not talking about that at all. But I'm talking about a change in the way we live, a change in the things we live for so that God can use us. He can bring opportunities to us. So that when my friend rises from the dead out of the coffin, we're not just over here chit-chatting about everyday life and we don't even realize what God's doing. We need the church to become men of Issachar, men who knew God. They understand the times and they knew what to do. That's what God's looking for. The challenge is for us today, the first challenge, will we hear what the Spirit is saying to the church? Think about that. Will I hear what the Spirit is saying to me today? So Paul was so moved he had to do something. He went to the synagogue to reason with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles, and he spoke daily in the public square to all who happened to be there. What did Paul do about it? Well, he did what he always did if he could. He went to the synagogue because he knew there'd be an opportunity there to talk to the people about Jesus. And he engaged folks wherever he could have an audience. The lack of response from the synagogue and the fact that he then went to the street implies that the religious Jews in Athens were not really interested. They were as caught up in the world as the world was. Ah, ah, oh. Did that hurt you? The Jews who were supposed to be God's people were as caught up in the idolatry and all that stuff in Athens as as the people of Athens. Could it be that the church today is as caught up in the world as the world is? And so we have no power and we're not very attractive. We got the same issues they got. Why would they need us? Why was Paul so deeply troubled? We know what he saw that made him deeply troubled. But why couldn't Paul just ignore it? Why couldn't Paul just overlook it like so many of us can? Ouch. Did I actually say that out loud? Why couldn't Paul just overlook it and ignore it like so many of us can? Paul must have been out of his mind. He must have been crazy to keep putting himself out there after all that opposition. He's been beat up in city after city. He's been stoned and left for dead. He's been imprisoned in the deepest, darkest dungeon. He must be crazy to go to another city and start again. And that's what some folks back then thought about him too. But this next slide, it's going to give us a glimpse into what drove the Apostle Paul to live the life he lived and to do the things he did. It explains why Paul was so deeply troubled with what he saw, the condition of the city, the plight of the people. It's going to help us understand why Paul was so motivated, and it's going to lead to our second challenge, and then we'll close. 
This is Paul writing to the Corinthians, also a city in Greece, but we haven't got there yet in our study of Acts. It's coming up next. So he's, in, he's writing this to the Corinthians. We understand, this is Paul and his companions, we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord. We work hard to persuade others. If it seems that we are crazy, it is to bring glory to God. And if we are in our right minds, it's for your benefit. But either way, Christ's love controls or compels us. What drove Paul to live the life he lived and do the things he did? First of all, he and his companions understood the mission. They understood why they were living as believers. They understood their fearful responsibility. We are all going to give an account of our lives as believers. If we're true believers, we won't be in the great white judgment and and sentenced to hell, but we will be before the judgment seat of Christ, and we will give an account for how we live life as believers. It's a fearful responsibility that God has given us. Paul and his companions understood it, and it drove their lives. They understood the mission. They understood the weight of the responsibility to be a believer and to be on mission with Christ. It was so clear to me in that dream, if that represented believers and, and their, their understanding or focus on what's going on, just so all caught up in all these other little earthly things that aren't important. And no concept of why they're alive as believers. In this case, it would be, why were they at that funeral? It was to pay respects to my friend. But they were just all caught up in everything else. Why are we alive as believers today? It's to be seeing the condition of the nation and the plight of the people and telling Jesus, telling people about Jesus. But we're caught up in so many other things. If we do that at all, it's on the bottom of the list. I told you you're not going to hear anything new today because God can't move off of this until we start to get this. Any smart comments? <laughs> Ron, that was awesome. You put the mic over there. She hasn't said a word. <laughs> I'm in big trouble. This is something God's been hammering us for a while. The reason we are alive as believers is to serve the Lord, not to live for ourselves especially and specifically serve the Lord by telling others about Jesus. But another driving force in this verse, it's they understood the mission, but they really weren't able in their own strength to do the things they did and live the way they lived. It was something else that was motivating them, and it was the love of Christ in them that controlled and compelled them to live to serve God, to live to tell others about Jesus. The word compel means to consistently and constantly push on, push forward into something. They were compelled to consistently and constantly push forward into telling others about Jesus at every opportunity. It's what they lived for. It's what they lived for. It's what they lived for. The love of Christ in him drove Paul to be resolutely on mission for him. You say, but I just can't get all that passionate about 
you know, about reaching the lost or the state of the nation. You need to tap into the love of Christ in you. Or maybe need to check and see if the love of Christ is in you. Start there. And if it is, and you're, you're convinced that you know the Lord, because if you know the Lord, the love of Christ dwells in you. I think I have a verse here that says that. But if you know the Lord, the love of Christ does dwell in you. So if you're not being compelled and motivated on mission with Christ, then the question is why? What is short-circuiting that? The love of Christ in the Holy Spirit in us was given us for this very purpose, that there would be laborers in the harvest field. Paul wasn't crazy. He wasn't out of his mind. He and his companions were not fools. They weren't gluttons for punishment. They weren't guys with a martyr complex. They didn't have a death wish. The love of Christ drove them to be fully committed and fully on mission with him. Relevant question for us today. Are we today somehow at a disadvantage to them? Is the church, our believers today, somehow at a disadvantage to them that they could live that way, but we really, we really can't? Did they have something that we do not have that made them live so differently than most of us? And the answer is no. It was the love of Christ that compelled them. And Romans 5, 5 says, God's love has been poured out into your hearts. Through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. We are not at a disadvantage. They did not, do not have a, a disadvantage over us. We sang about the same love. That's why I asked the band to play that. The same love that was in them, is in us, true believers today, is in the church today. Why do we look so vastly different than they do, than they did? What do you think, Raya? Uh, don't put me on the spot like that, Pastor Hove. <laughs> the same love that compelled Jesus to be intensely, intentionally, resolutely on mission with the Father. The same love that compelled Paul and his companions to be intensely, intentionally, resolutely on mission with Christ dwells in us. The same love. We sang about it. We need to think about it. We're going to sing about it again in a moment. If somebody wants to get Heather maybe and relieve Heather so she can come in. If we know Christ, the fullness of the love of Christ dwells in us. Make no mistake about it. The same force that drove and motivated Paul dwells in us, you and me. And here's our second challenge. If the same love that dwelt in them dwells in us, then why are we not seeing that same resoluteness? Why aren't we seeing that same intensity for Christ as we saw in them? Why am I not living? Why am I not living with that same resoluteness, intention, intensity, and intentionality? I believe this is the question God is challenging his church with today. It's the question he would have us think about. The rest of the passage that Deb read was very lengthy, all about Paul's experiences in Athens, 
It would be good to read again, but we're not going to discuss it in here. We're going to move on next week. For our purposes, God made his point. God challenged us plenty to think about where we stand in all of this. 100,000 souls are depending on us, church. 100,000 lost souls coming to Christ in our area, in our region. And we'll have a big part in that. That's the vision. Those souls are hanging in the balance, waiting for us to respond to God's invitation, his challenge, perhaps his demand to us. We'll move to a conclusion. You have a bulletin insert. Take a moment, pull it out. There's one question on the bulletin insert. I think it reads, what has God emphasized to me from this message today? What has God emphasized to me from this message today? Don't sit there and think, man, my wife should have heard that. Or my husband should be thinking about that. Or, oh, I wish so-and-so was here today. He needed to hear that. No, you're here. God brought you here. He's focusing on you. You need to ask, what did God emphasize to me today in this message just take a brief moment jot something down if it comes if not take it home with you think more about it then i'll call for the band in just a minute and we'll come we'll come up and we're going to close out brother ray said he needs two minutes um this may be something i regret but i'm going to give him the microphone for two minutes then when he's done speaking or whatever he has to say melissa if you'll come and pray And as she comes to pray, that's when the band will come forward. We talk about Christ's love and what my love has done. We're looking for lost souls. I'm trying and I'm trying one thing I want you all to remember, you all have friends, best friends. My best friend was not a believer. I started to change coming to church. And he noticed, and I told him, I says, I I feel this change coming on. And he wanted part of that. He didn't understand at first. But my best friend did believe. And nine months later, he died. How would you feel if your best friend died and you didn't know God? You have to think about that. And that's how I feel now of all my friends. I want my friends to understand and love God and believe in him. Thank you. I wish just once I could get up here and actually just start to pray without having something to say, but I'm like, Ray, I just can't help it. Um, I guess my question, the question I ask myself is, how do I know what's really in my heart? And what I feel God revealed to me is, take a look at your checkbook. Um, what do you think about? 
Where's, where's my passion? What am I thinking about all the time? You know, um, what are we doing? and like when somebody drops something off at my car, you know, I go to Sam's Club, pick up something. I'm just worried about, am I getting my item? Is it right? And this lady drops stuff off and it's like, and I drove away thinking, you know what? I never really even cared about her as a person. Just, and we go to the restaurants, you know, and you're just worried about, I make sure you get my order right and make sure uh, I get my food in time and, and that kind of thing. And, and she walks away and I walk away and never see this person again. But you know what? I don't have a passion. And that's something that God's really shown me. I just miss that. And just um, Wednesday night, Deb and Yvonne and myself, we volunteered at the homeless shelter for from six to about eight. And that was a real eye opener. And I'm gonna tell you, I was sitting out there in, in that parking lot and I'm waiting for Deb to come and Yvonne. I'm like, oh my gosh, why am I even here? I'm like, I don't need this. This is scary and I'm afraid my car is gonna get broken into. I'm like, how can I hide my purse? What do I do with that? And, and I'm thinking about all this stuff and I'm like, oh, I'm about ready to go. This is, this is not good. And then Deb shows up and we go in. I told Deb, I'm like, this doesn't feel good. And, you know, and that's the other thing. Sometimes we just got to get out of our comfort zones, just yeah. do something that's uncomfortable. And, and these people are just normal people. And, and we got in there, and I'm listening to uh, one of the people that lead the shelter explain everything. And all of a sudden, God revealed to me, because I struggle with faith lately a lot. And Pastor Hub knows that um, I do because I was heavily involved with prayer time years ago, 20 years ago. We went to that place, the house of prayer. We were all over pastors, prayer time, everything, praying, praying for this community, for a change. All of a sudden, as she's talking, explaining everything, it hit me. This is an answer to that prayer. And I was just like, wow. And God's so good. Like, he meets us where we're at. He cares. So I just, and then listen to these stories. These people are normal people. It could, these these people don't have anything. That This is their last resort. They don't have family, friends that take them in. And I'm not even talking, these aren't people with drugs or alcohol. These are just people that just can't find a place. Or sick. the one guy has stage four cancer. Another person, he came in, he, he was a welder. And for whatever reason, they just can't get places to live. Um, and, and it just broke my heart, honestly. And I just... For me, and I'm sure maybe it's the same way, am I living for the world or am I kingdom-centered? So with that, I just, just would like to pray. Lord, I just thank you for opening my eyes and opening everyone's eyes. Lord, I just pray, pray that you give us your eyes, give us your heart, give us your passion and your love that we need to care, to truly care and to speak out at times when we need to speak truth and not just settle for less, because your word says something. You know, it's like, if it's wrong, it's wrong. If it's right, it's right. We need to be open to share that. Lord, as we go out of here today, I just pray for your anointing on each and every one of us. Help us to go out of here and search our hearts mm -hmm. to see where our hearts really are. Where is our passion? Lord, make yourself very real to us. Help us to get serious with you and get back into your word and, and in prayer and whatever we're lacking that we need to be. Lord, take those idols from us, those things that are drawing our attention that we would rather just cling to those than to you. Lord, just break those chains of bondage. 
And Lord, I just, just pray that you would open our eyes to those who are lost that need to hear from you and give us the words and to, to speak to these people that we come into contact with. There is no consequences. Lord, you have designed this by, by one purpose. Lord, thank you for your blessings and thank you for all that we do have. Just help us not to idolize that. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our weekly message. To connect with us, visit our website at blesscolumbia.org.